everyone. Welcome to the webinar. The title of it is How to Overcome the Fear of Others. This is part of our Mount Rushmore offering of webinars. This is one of four that I believe are essential for every Christian to watch because these are common universal problems that we all struggle with. In this webinar, I'm talking about the fear of others. Perchance you haven't seen the other three, then I would encourage you to make a list to watch those as well. One of them is how to overcome self-reliance. Another one is the doctrine of repentance. The third one is how to make a biblical decision. And then this one here that I want to present to you, how to overcome the fear of others. I have subtitled it, The Opinion of One. For those of you who are listening by podcast, thank you so much for joining me. As always, I will have animated graphics in our keynote webinar presentation, so if you can make your way over to our ministry, I would encourage you to do that so that you can watch this presentation. You can stop it. You can take screen grabs so that you can use them personally, also within your family or with your friends, I do encourage you to share our resources broadly after you make them practical in your own life. My name is Rick Thomas, and again, I am very glad that you are here. The webinar, How to Overcome the Fear of Others. If you have any questions, as many do, we have a free community forum, and you can come to our forums, and you can ask any question that is on your mind, anything pertaining to life and godliness. If you have a question about this webinar, Overcoming the Opinion or the Fear of Others, well, please uh, take advantage of our resources, specifically our community forums, and we would love to engage you. Our team is ready and willing to serve you with your most vital questions, and so please come to our forums. There was an anonymous quote that was made, and again, I heard this years ago, and it's something that I could really relate to. And so as, as I begin this webinar, I want to share it with you. The quote goes like this, 100 people can tell me they love me, but I can only hear the one who criticizes. Now, if that resonates with you, well, then you do struggle with the fear of man, and I'm going to unpack how to overcome that in this webinar. But insecurity is a big issue uh, for many of us. Now, all of us struggle with it to varying degrees because this is our uh, Adamic packaging. This is how we come into this world. We have this internal shame, an internal sense of awkwardness, not completely comfortable uh, within our own skin. But not only are we affected by Adam, we are affected by uh, many other authoritarian influences in our lives, and they can shape us uh, in ways that can exacerbate. It can amplify the Adamic fear of man that comes with that uh, packaging. And some of you struggle with this way more than others. And of course, depending on how long you have been a believer will make all the difference in the world. The primary text of Scripture that I'm going to work with in this webinar, and it is one verse that you really want to memorize. This is the best summation of what I will be talking about in this webinar, and it comes from Proverbs 29:25. The verse says, "...the fear of man lays a snare." but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. And I want you to notice how the verse is on the screen here. It's probably how you will read it in the Bible as well. And what I mean is, is that it was written in Hebrew parallelism. A lot of the Proverbs are written that way. And what that means is, is that the writer will lay out the, the problem initially, and that will be the first line. And of course, what you see here is the fear of man lays a snare, and that is the problem. But the Hebrew parallel is the solution and the answer to the problem, whoever trusts the Lord is safe. And so if you want to know how to overcome the fear of man, there it is in this verse. And I realize saying to trust the Lord is a simplistic response. And so what I want to do is I want to get inside of what fear of man is so that you can understand it thoroughly. And then I want to give you a, some practical solutions, uh, some answers, things that you can apply to your life so that you can overcome it. But first of all, let's explain what fear of man is. And 
the first way or the the first approach to defining fear of a man is I want to uh, give you some cultural words that mean the same thing as the biblical term fear of man. And so culturally speaking, I am sure you heard have heard the word insecurity. That is a good way to define what I am talking about, being insecure. I am not the word police, and so it really doesn't matter to me uh, what you call it, as long as you understand not only what the problem is, but what the solution is. And so a good synonym for fear of man is insecurity. You've also heard the term peer pressure, uh, which works well uh, when we are affected uh, by people to where their opinions have more control over us than God's opinion of ourselves. Well, then their opinions can manage us, and it can give direction and shape to our lives, which is unfortunate, and that's called peer pressure. And then in the disorder language of how our culture communicates the fear of man, they will use the word codependency. And so whether it's insecurity, peer pressure, codependency, they're all saying the same thing, which is fear of man. Let's unpack it just a little bit more. I want to lay out more synonyms, and I trust as you hear these descriptors that I'm going to provide for you, you will ask the Spirit of God to give you ears to hear and eyes to see yourself. And if you find yourself in any of these descriptors, then, well, that will give you something to work with, and and I trust that as we move through, or as I move through this webinar, uh, you'll also be able to accumulate several solutions that you can apply so that you can overcome uh, these synonyms here of fear of man. So how do you know if you have fear of man? Well, one of the synonyms is the avoidance of others. Avoiding others uh, is uh, the same thing as fear of man. It means a person does not uh, want to be managed influence or they are afraid of the other person and so they avoid others that could also be public speaking by the way uh, where we're not just avoiding an individual but we are avoiding a group of people i've already mentioned the word insecure another synonym of fear of man is competitive with others and what i mean by that is that you have to win uh, you have to be on top you can't lose because to lose is to feel small uh, is to be defeated, and being defeated or losing or coming out on the bottom, uh, that can be kryptonite for some people, especially if they struggle with fear of man or they are insecure. People pleaser uh, is a common term as well, a person who uh, will change their colors depending on which group they belong to, the chameleon life. Biblically, we're talking about the hypocrite. They wear a mask, and they... They take the temperature of the room, and then they uh, turn themselves into whatever they need to be in order to please the, please the other people or the other individual that they are craving approval from. And that is the fifth synonym I have here is a craving for approval. And so a person who desires the acceptance or approval of another individual will become a people pleaser. A sixth synonym is self-conscious. They're very aware of what's going on internally. They feel small inside, and they can be overly in introspective and managed by other people. They can be reactionary or defensive, and so if you bring critique to them, even if it's honest critique, constructive criticism, and they are reactionary or defensive, uh, the way that they are interpreting that is that it makes them feel small. Now, I'm well aware that people can critique others in harsh and unkind ways, and I am not talking about that here. In fact, that's one of the ways that you can uh, develop fear of man, that you can feel insecure. For example, if you were reared by an authoritative, hateful, mean-spirited dad or mom, that the continual verbal beatdown over about 10 or 15 years, you, it has a diminishing effect, and you can feel smaller and smaller. You can become self-conscious. You can start craving approval from others. You become a people pleaser because you don't want to be rejected by them. You can become competitive as well. This is where a person's strength could become a backside liability. They use their 
ability to compete and win as a way to satiate this craving that they have internally because they are insecure. And so one of those synonyms for fear of man is reactionary and defensive when someone criticizes them when they criticize the right way. Another synonym is given the gossip. A person who is given to gossip, there is a self-elevating effect there by putting down another individual. And so if I can put you down by talking about you behind your back to someone else, uh, that could be a, a mechanism that allows me to feel superior to the person that I'm putting down. Of course, uh, the Bible word for, or the, the heart attitude for the God for gossip is self-righteousness, and it is that self-elevating effect uh, that you receive by putting other people down. I mentioned reactionary and defensive. Another uh, way of saying that is doesn't handle rejection well. And it's important to understand that when you're interacting with people that are showing any of these things that I'm describing to you on the screen here, that you truly understand what is going on. You can become impatient with people like this and frustrated and and even rebuke them for what they are doing externally. Let's say a person who is given to gossip and they're gossiping to you. Well, you do want to admonish them. You do want to confront them appropriately, but you also want to make sure that you're doing enough investigation and that that you have enough discernment to realize that the gossip that's flowing off their lips is coming from their heart. And if they struggle with fear of man or any of these other things here on the screen, well, then that gives you a clue as to why they are a gossiping person, and that will help you to root it out at its cause as you are admonishing them for the external behavior of gossip that they are iterating. Another synonym is afraid of failure. You can tie that to competitive with others. Again, it's the person that doesn't want to lose. They don't want to be diminished. They don't want to feel small. Oversensitivity, uh, given to shyness, uh, is another one. Uh, confronts in a public forum. This is called the disinhibition effect, meaning that they are not inhibited in a public forum. And you see this in social media all the time, where many times it's insecure people that are saying things outlandishly or harshly or confronting in the public space because they don't have the courage uh, to go to them privately and look them in the eye and talk to them in a humble way, and so they lash out or they vent on a public in the public space, and many times it's a person who struggles with fear of man. Another iteration is they have to be in control. It's another way of saying competitive with others or afraid of failure. They want to be strong. It's the self-righteous effect. They have to be on top. Another synonym is they are managed by opinions, and of course that's what fear of man is, where they are controlled by what other people say to them or about them, and that's why I subtitled this webinar, The Opinion of One. We're all managed by opinions, and we want to make sure that the only opinion that matters to us is God's opinion to us, uh, or, or God's opinion about us, and when God's opinion of us is the thing that controls us, then all other opinions are laid to waste, and they lose their strength and their power over us. And then a final synonym is easily embarrassed. Now, perhaps you want to take a screenshot of what you're looking at here, and this would be a good topic for discussion with a close friend uh, that you can share your own personal struggle, and maybe he or she would do similarly uh, with you, or this be a topic of discussion in a small group. I'm also sure that you can add to this list, but I would encourage you to minimally ask the Spirit of God to illuminate your mind and help you to see uh, what you possibly have not been able to see, and, and maybe God would help you put a finger on something that you have been struggling with uh, internally. Now, those were a few synonyms, and I realize what I'm going to share with you next has crossover. 
and they somewhat overlap. But my goal here is to be as clear as possible because, it, you know, Paul told us in Ephesians 4.22 that we are to put off the old person, and if you cannot clearly identify what these old mannerisms or habituations or thought processes are, if you don't have a clear understanding of that, then it will be very difficult to put it off. And so understanding that there will be some crossover, I want to get into some symptoms for the fear of man. One of those is overeating. And what I mean by that is that a person that they use, uh, they respond to their shyness or the uh, just being managed by others or diminished by others, and they're looking for a way of escape. And so they use overeating as a way to feel better about themselves. Now, there's other reasons that people will overeat, but it's definitely, or it can be, a symptom for the fear of man. And then, ironically, also too much talking. Uh, Some people hide behind their words, and the way that that works out is that they take the offense where they are doing all the talking, which doesn't leave them exposed and open to where you can be intrusive in their lives, and so they compensate their insecurity by talking all the time, and it's where perhaps you've heard the expression, I couldn't get a word in edgewise. Well, uh, it could be that the person is struggling with fear of man, and they use that as a tactic so that they do not feel vulnerable or exposed. Biting nails, uh, that's a nervousness. And again, uh, let me say one more time, all of these symptoms do not necessarily point to fear of man, uh, but they can. Name dropping, uh, that is another self-elevating uh, way that, that, that people will use. It's kind of like gossiping, the opposite of gossiping, yet it accomplishes the same thing. It gives you a sense of self-superiority if you're putting someone down through gossip or if you're name-dropping by associating yourself with someone who might be famous. Oversleeping is similar to overeating. It is an escape mechanism because of the internal fear that manages you. Not being flexible is a common characteristic of fear of man. It would be similar to the competitiveness that I was talking about uh, earlier. It's the person that can't admit or they won't admit that they are wrong, and so they make a decision And rather than changing, when they realize that they need to change their mind on a particular subject, they end up doubling down and they become inflexible. And again, this could be a symptom of fear of man. Also, uh, number seven, they must have the last word. Uh, Sometimes when I get in a conversation, whether it's email or on social media, for example, with a person who struggles with fear of man, I'm careful to let them have the last word because I know that if I respond again to them, their insecurity will motivate them to respond in return. They just have to have the last word. They have to finish on top. They cannot be diminished and they can't let it linger. They have to get that last word in. And so I let them do that because they have a deeper problem than just the conversation that we're having at the moment. A number uh, eight here is they won't be transparent, and that makes sense because of the internal shame that they have. They don't want to be uh, vulnerable, don't want to be exposed. They hide behind joking, which is similar to too much talking, and so they use their charisma as a way to hide their insecurity. This is another illustration of using a strength to compensate a weakness. I talked about competitiveness earlier, where a person uses their their ability, whatever their strength is, as a way to mask their internal insecurity and talking too much uh, by, uh, for example, can be a strength because some people just don't have uh, that ability to talk. I'm not a super social person, and so talking too much would be a challenge for me. But they could use that strength of talking too much or being competitive or hiding behind joking. Uh, The person who has that gift for being humorous, they could be hiding their insecurity. Ongoing soul noise uh, is a symptom of fear of man. 
And that's when their conscience is constantly talking uh, to them, uh, letting them know uh, that they uh, uh, highlighting their shame or guilt or fear or anxiousness or worriness, uh, worrisomeness. A person who struggles this way will have ongoing uh, soul noise that will be uh, captivating. Isolating from others, that's the avoidance that I was talking about earlier. A blame shifter, uh, the individual who is kind of like being not flexible. They're not going to uh, accept the fact that they are wrong, and so rather than admitting the mistake, they blame the mistake on another person. A carefully edited representative, this is the person that has a carefully crafted representation of themselves that they trot out in public space because of the shame that they carry internally. It's it's tied also to what I said earlier about not being transparent, and so they have a another image of themselves that they want other people to see and experience. And then finally, false humility, where they learn how to be humble, a learned behavior, and it makes them come across as, as being better than what they know themselves to be. And so, again, you may want to screen grab uh, this a slide as well and use it for conversation. Let's go back to Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now, what I want to do at this juncture is I want to illustrate it through a few animations so that you can really visually see what this verse is saying in Hebrew parallelism. And so we will start with the negative, the first part of the verse, the fear of man. And so if your heart is captivated by fear, uh, then you will be overly influenced by man. You'll be overly influenced by other people. The fear-centered person is a candidate to be managed by other people, what they say and what they do. And of course, the Hebrew writer is saying that the fear of man leads to a snare. And so you will be ensnared. And this is the kind of language that you see in Galatians 6.1. If any person is caught in a transgression, uh, caught means that they are ensnared. And a person who is wrapped up in a heart of fear will be dominated and managed by people, and they will live in this perpetual incarceration. The other part of the verse, the in the Hebrew parallelism, the bottom half of the sentence uh, says, he who trusts the Lord will be safe. And so what you see are the three opposites in the verse. And of course, this is the solution to the problem. But if you begin with a heart of fear, you cannot get to safety because a fear-centered person will always run into the self-incarceration or the snare. And so you cannot get to safety from fear. You have to make some dynamic shifts in your heart before Uh, you can experience the safety that you crave. Therefore, you want to identify these shifts that you have to make. And if you are fear-centered, then you have to move over. What you have to put on is trust. And so the opposite of fear is trust. And then the opposite of man or people in this verse is the Lord. You see the parallelism. And of course, the opposite of the snare is safety. And so the big thing on the screen is actually the word trust. That is the beginning of it all. If you have a heart of fear, then you must address the lack of faith or the lack of trust that you have in the Lord. And I trust as I continue to move through uh, that you will learn how to do it. I want to give you a definition of fear of man, and one of the best that I have heard I will share with you. I I do not remember where I first heard this, uh, but I I remember hearing it, and it has stuck with me all of these years. And so I want to define fear of man by defining the word insecurity and the word security, because those are the two combatants in this play here. And so insecurity, which is another way of saying fear of man, it is placing your faith, your hope, your trust, your belief, or your confidence in something or someone that can be taken away. 
Now, there's a lot in that sentence, and so the first word is insecurity. As you know, I'm working with as a synonym to fear of man, peer pressure, codependency. And so fear of man or insecurity is placing your faith, and I give you a list of synonyms here that all mean the same thing, faith, hope, trust, belief, confidence. I'm talking about God-centered confidence, not self-confidence. And I'm just trying to bring as many shades and as much nuance as possible because I really want you to understand uh, what this problem of fear man is and the solution for it. And so insecurity is placing your faith or your a synonym, hope or trust or belief or God-centered confidence in something or someone that can be taken away. And so the key, the big key idea here is that it can be taken away. And so if your faith is in something that can be taken away, taken from you, then you will only be strong when you have that thing, when you possess that thing is what it means. Now, once that thing goes away, well, then you crumble because you have placed your faith in that thing. And so, for example, marriage, and this is a tough one uh, for many of us. If your marriage is the most controlling and managing or the most significant thing in your life, when that marriage goes away, well, it will reveal a deep-seated insecurity and you will crash. Now, I am not saying that you're that you won't be disappointed <laughs> if you weren't insecure and you lost your marriage, uh, but you won't be continually managed by that. You will rebound, re- rebound. You will recalibrate. You'll realign yourself back to the gospel. Uh, you will crumble initially in an episodic way if you lost your marriage, for example, through divorce or, or through death. But you will rebound because you're not insecure. Your faith, your hope, your trust, your belief, your confidence was not in the marriage primarily, but there was something else that was greater that was managing you. And though you would suffer the loss and you will crumble momentarily if you were to lose your marriage, you would rebound because that is not where you placed your faith, hope, trust, belief or confidence. And so security is the exact same sentence with one subtle but yet huge and dramatic change. So here's the definition for security. It is placing your faith, hope, trust, belief, or confidence, God-centered confidence, in something or someone that cannot be taken away. And that is the subtle but yet dramatic difference between insecurity and security. If you want to know if a person is is insecure, then you take away the thing that gives them the most hope. And when that thing disappears, they will crumble and they will stay that way because their faith was in that thing. But that begs the question, can you put your faith, your hope, your trust, your belief, your confidence in something that cannot be taken away? I have been studying the Scripture since 1984, and up till this juncture, as I have studied God's Word, I have come to the conclusion that there are only two things that cannot be taken away. One of those things is the living logos, the living word, meaning Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ cannot be taken away. And the other thing is the written logos. God's word is forever. The Son of God is forever. I was witnessing to a man many decades ago, and I I was wanting to get into a conversation and find out if he was a Christian or not. And if he wasn't, I was going to lead him to Christ. And somewhere in the conversation, I asked him if he could ever lose his faith. And he said, oh, sure, I can lose my faith. And I thought in that moment, I got you. I got you now. This is a teaching moment, and I'm going to teach you something. And so I said, you can lose your faith. I said, well, how can you lose your faith? He said, "If, if God ceased to exist 
That was a fantastic answer. If God ceases to exist, then our faith would crumble. But you and I know that God will never cease to exist. The living Logos, Jesus Christ himself, and the written Logos, his word, will never cease to exist. Everything else will cease to exist. Therefore, we have to put our faith in something greater than us, and the only two things that are greater than us that will endure forever, the living Logos and the written Logos. Now, you will see people whose faith are in other things. I mentioned marriage marriage earlier, and I realize that's hard. I mean, I've lost my marriage. I know what it's like to lose your marriage. I understand the crushing effect of it. Some of you have lost children. I have lost uh, family members, two brothers through through murder. And so I understand the loss of a, of a human being. I understand the loss of a, a relationship. But if your faith is in those things, as important as those things are, if that's where your primary faith is, then when those things disappear, you will crumble. You can only be as strong as the foundation upon which you are standing. Therefore, the key for us to overcome fear of man, insecurity, peer pressure, codependency is to make sure that the foundation upon which we are standing is the living Logos and his word. And that brings us to two questions. Question number one, who or what are you worshiping? Now, the question is never ask, are you worshiping? Because we are born to worship and we worship 24-7. It's it's the way God made us as worshipers made in the image of God. Therefore, we bypass that question, are you a worshiper? It's redundant. It's unnecessary. And so the question is, who or what are you worshiping? Now, one of the ways that you can tell what a person is worshiping is in the heat of the moment when they are experiencing loss or disappointment. If we are managed by loss and disappointment, not in an episodic way, as I was saying earlier, when disappointment comes into your life, whether it's the disappointment of a traffic uh, intersection uh, where you're being cut off in traffic, that's a disappointment, or something truly significant like the loss of life or a loss of relationship, you will be managed in an episodic way more than likely. But if you're continued to be managed by those things, then you have identified what you are worshiping. Whatever manages you is what you worship, which leads to the second question, who or what controls you? We can't serve two masters. We can only serve one. And so when you are doing discipleship, soul care, uh, with someone and they come to you, and they're having heat in their life. Uh, there's a disappointment coming down upon them, and it's pressuring them. You want to read them carefully. And what they say and how they talk, how they communicate, will answer the two questions that you see on the screen here. Who or what are you worshiping? Or who or what controls you. And you want to pay attention to that because you may be seeing, sitting right in front of you, a person that is not calibrated by the living Logos or the written Logos. Now, maybe you want to make that assessment for yourself. Think about a disappointment in your life. And if you are managed by that in an ongoing way, by the way, one of the ways that you can uh, tell uh, is by if you're bitter over it, or how you talk about that past disappointment. And let's say that disappointment was six months ago, or a year ago, or 10 years ago. And if you're still bitter, then who or what you are worshiping, or who or what controls you is very clear, and it's not Jehovah, and that is a change that you do want to make. All right, so I want to draw out an animation of what fear of man looks like in a relationship, and so you see on the screen here, I have a little fellow, and then I have a big fellow, and we'll call it father and son because this is one, this is the most common ways that you will see fear of man acted out. And most definitely, this was my story as my father was an abusive man. Uh, he, he was a harsh, unkind, 
cursing, selfish, manipulative, belligerent, and physically, uh, physically he would harm us. And so he was a very powerful person. And many of us have had that experience in our parental relationships. It could also be your mother, but it could also be a sibling or some other person in your life, especially when you are young. This is where the early shaping influences in an individual's life. It sets the trajectory to how fear a man grows throughout their life, and then it continues to accumulate as they grow older. And unfortunately, I spent a quarter of a century bound by the fear of man because of, one, uh, the Adamic influence being born in Adam, and you come into this world with a high sense of shame and guilt and fear and those types of things. Uh, and then a father, in my case, comes along, and, and he amplifies this internal depravity that I have, what I carry in my soul. And so it is exacerbated to where fear of man grew significantly in my life until I was 25 years old when I was introduced to the to the living Lagos and the written Lagos, and God regenerated me, and that began the long process of, of transformation. And so when you think about fear of man and the thing that manages you, it could be an individual, as I have been describing, like, say, with my, my father, but it could be someone or it could be something, it can be people, it can be things. The foundation that we stand upon is is not just uh, craving the approval of a father, we can be craving other things, and those other things or other people or something or someone, uh, that can be the foundation. And of course, if we lose those things, then it will most definitely cause us to crumble because we're insecure. Our faith, hope, trust, belief, confidence is in something that can be taken away. As you see in the bottom right of the screen, and this is really the problem, I have written the letters uh, G-O-D, and so in this picture, uh, the dad is very large in this little boy's life, and God is, is terribly small, and so therefore, the dad manages the little boy. He controls him. Now, the question that you want to ask is, what is the real problem? And as you look at the screen, I would like for you to quickly answer the question, what is the problem? What is the real problem? I mean, there is a secondary problem, which is what you're looking at, by the way. That's the secondary problem. But there is a deeper problem. There is a core rooted problem that you have to identify. What is really managing him? Is it the man that you see in, on the screen, or is it something else? The answer to the question is that it is something else. I want to give you a list of synonyms. You see them. I'll read them out for you, for those of you who are listening to the podcast. These are the things that's managing the little boy, not the man, but these heart idolatries on this list here. Here they are. Significance, acceptance, approval, respect, honor, and love. These are the things that the little boy wants. He wants to feel significant to his daddy. He wants to be accepted by his daddy. He wants to be approved, respected, honored, and loved by his daddy. And then the last thing on the list, the seventh thing, is rejection. Rejection is the opposite of the first six. This is the one thing that he doesn't want. And so you could, it's two sides of the same coin. The coin's the same, and it just depends on how you want to talk about it. You could say what he wants from his daddy is significance, acceptance, approval, respect, honor, love. Or what I don't want from my daddy is rejection. All of these things control the little boy. This is what's in his heart. You see, the dad is like a soda machine. The soda machine is the big box standing there towering over the little boy. But what the little boy wants is not the big box. There's something else, these, these little idolatries. What the big box can give me, what the soda machine can give me. My daddy can make me feel significant. He can make me feel accepted or approved. He can make me feel respected or honored or loved. Or my daddy 
can reject me. And so the power is in the hand, thumbs up or thumbs down, depending on what my dad does or doesn't do, he has power over me, but it's not really him that has power over me, it's these hidden idolatries, these things that I crave that I want him to give me. And that is a a, a essential understanding of how fear of man operates, because we can be focused on the secondary issue in the picture, which is the towering man. Now, that is important, and I would not want to minimize that, but what I do want to do is to amplify and maximize the true heart, heart idolatries, because if you don't root out fear of man uh, at its core, Uh, then it will resurface in another way. And so the dad can die. The dad can go away. You can leave home. But you can't run away from these hidden idolatries until you truly do what Paul says to put off this former manner of life and renew the spirit of your mind and put on a new person that looks like Christ. And so it's important to see the tertiary issue, the towering man, and the primary issue, these seven heart idolatries that have captivated this little boy. Now, before I move further, I I want to take a brief coffee break and thank you for joining me for this webinar. And then I just want to share five or six things with you and ask you to consider them. One, I want you to pray for our ministry. God continues to give us advancement uh, throughout the world as he is taking our resources to more and more people. Would you ask God to continue to do this good thing of sharing our resources with many? Number two, I want you to like wherever you can like our stuff on social media. Give us the thumbs up. Follow us wherever you can follow us. Number three, please share our resources broadly. Our resources are free. Uh, That is intended design. Several years ago, uh, we said that we're going to do this one way or the other. We're going to do this. We're going to give our resources away, and that's why you're able to watch this webinar freely. And I want you to share it with a friend. Say, hey, take this link. Open it, watch this webinar, and then for that person to to pass it on as well. Number four, I would like for you to write a review wherever you can. If it's the podcast platform, please do that. This is just one of the ways uh, that you can help us to advance the practical message of Christ uh, to as many people as possible. So pray for us, like our stuff, share our stuff, write reviews. And then the final two things I want you to consider if you're able to donate to our ministry or to support our ministry on an ongoing basis. You can make a one-time donation, or you can support us monthly or annually, and I would ask you to pray about that if you're able, because the truth is these resources aren't free. Nothing is free, not even the gospel. It costs a man his life. And so for us to produce these resources, there's, well, now we're into hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in order to produce these resources. And so we do need support to do what we do and for our team to continue to uh, help people as they come to our ministry and to produce the resources and to keep it all running. And so for those of you who are able, if you would make a one-time donation or support us on a regular basis, I certainly would appreciate it. Thank you for participating in my coffee break. All right, I want to draw another illustration here. Obviously, the big problem with the fear of man, as you saw in the last graphic, the last animation, is that the little boy had a very tiny God, and that is the problem, and so he needs a bigger God in his world. And so I want to talk about an individual that we're very familiar with. His name is is Jesus. And There are many cool things that I appreciate, adore, and love about Jesus, but one of those things is, and it's it's in my top three, I mean, obviously dying for my sins is number one, but as I look at his life throughout the four Gospels, he was an untethered man. He was completely untethered from the management and the control of other people, and it it didn't matter where these people landed in his network, if it was Peter, who was probably as close to him as any other person was, who rejected him, 
uh, who rebuked him in Mark 8, eventually left him as Jesus was heading toward the cross. Peter's reaction to Jesus did not manage him because Jesus was so tethered to the Father. Jesus had a big God, if I could say it that way. Mary, another person, you remember the story in John 11, where she too rebuked Jesus because he, he was not fast enough as her brother Lazarus was dying. But yet Jesus in that moment said, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sake so that you may believe. Because he wasn't managed by her, he was able to give clear counsel to her. If you're managed by someone, then you'll be so influenced by them that you will not have the clarity that you need to be the person that you need for them. Peter was the same way. When Peter rebuked him in Mark 8, Jesus, wasn't, Jesus didn't need anything from him. Uh, Peter didn't manage uh, Jesus. And so Peter can be angry at Jesus, but Jesus' faith, hope, trust, belief, confidence was in something that could not be taken away. It wasn't in Peter's friendship. It wasn't in Peter's approval. It, it wasn't in Peter's ability to make Jesus feel significant. Peter had no control over Christ, which released him to be free to give him what he needed. Mary was the same way. And of course, the disciples, they had their issues at time with Christ as well, but they were not managed. The multitudes were disappointed in Jesus, but they could not manage him as well. And then finally, the Pharisees, uh, they, as you see, especially at the point where Jesus is talking uh, to Pilate, for example, and there were other moments where he was talking to uh, the Pharisees, and, and they were very harsh and unkind, but Jesus was calm, he was cool and collected because he was not tethered to any of these people, therefore none of them had control over them. And so when you look at this graphic here on the screen, you see that Jesus was managed by the Father. That's why the subtitle of this webinar is The Opinion of One. You're either going to be managed by God's opinion of you, or you're going to be managed by other people's opinion of you. And so everything hinges on opinions. That is the big operative word that you have to think through. Everything hinges on opinions. Peter's opinion, Mary's opinion, all the disciples, the multitudes, the Pharisees' opinions of Christ did not control him. Why? Because he was singularly focused, and he lived in and relished in his father's opinion, and his father's opinion was quite clear. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He knew that his father was pleased in him and that was enough. When the Lord's opinion of you is the one that controls you, then you are as free as you can possibly be. You cannot need someone and love someone at the same time, or you cannot need someone and love someone well at the same time. And what I mean by that is this, if you need them, meaning I need your approval, I need your acceptance, I need your significance, I need your loyalty, I need for you to honor me, I need for you to respect me, I don't need for you to reject me. If those are the things that you crave from another person, then you will not be free to love them well, because you will always govern your love. You will always manage your love. You will always carefully edit your love so that your love will never, ever uh, cause them to reject you, meaning you will become what you need to be so that you can get what you crave for them, because what you crave for them is more important than the love that you can give them. Jesus, on the other hand, did not need any of the people that I mentioned earlier. And because he did not need them, he was able to love them the right way. Therefore, he could rebuke Peter. He could say, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sake, Mary, so that you may believe and he could tell Pilate that you can't do anything unless 
God wills it. He was free to love appropriately because he did not need any of the things that I mentioned earlier on that list, approval, significance, and so forth. Ed Welch said in his book, When People Are Big and God is Small, whatever or whoever I think I need will control me. By the way, if you haven't read that book, uh, I highly recommend it. This is one of the more transformative books that God has used in my life to help me work through my own fear of man issues. And early on in that book, Ed makes this statement. I remembered it. I highlighted it. I captured it. I've now inserted it on this slide because this statement really gets at the crux of the problem. Whatever or whoever I think I need will control me. And if you think you need God more than anything else, then he will manage you and you will be as free as you possibly can. And so let me ask you a couple of key questions. Here's key question number one. What is it you crave at the moment when the fear of others come upon you? Now, this is a test question. If you have been paying attention thus far, you, you, you know the answer to the question. And so I'm going to give you just a couple of seconds to think about it because I've already given you the answer. What is it you crave at the moment when the fear of others come upon you? What are those things that you crave? It's the idle list that I mentioned earlier. What is it that you crave at the moment when the fear of others comes upon you? It's the list. It's right here. What is the problem? The problem is I crave significance, acceptance, approval, respect, honor, love, or I fear rejection. Now, all of these are synonyms. This is seven ways to say the same thing. And I say it in different ways because each one of these words will not resonate the same with every person. Some people will say, well, I don't care anything about significance. Well, let's work down the list and if something in the list catches your eye and applies to you, then this is the thing that you crave in the moment when fear of others is capturing you. And so this is the idle list, and this is the list that you have to work through. Key question number two, why are you more concerned about what others think of you than what God thinks of you? Now, if you're going to spend some time working through fear of man, then I do want you to go back through this webinar. I've asked some, some important questions throughout, and I would one of the best things that you can do as far as the application of this webinar is to go through and capture those questions, spend time with it, because here's the thing about fear of man. It's not an amputatable issue. According to Matthew 5, 30 and 31, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. You can't just cut off fear of man. It is a deeply rooted sanctification issue, like the sin list, the idol list that I was showing earlier. Those are heart issues. And you can't overcome heart issues like flipping a switch on and off, like amputating something. No, this is a mortification issue that we see in Romans 8, 13, that we mortify the deeds of the flesh, that we make them dead, meaning we take the vitality out of them. We suck the life out of them, and it's not something that you can amputate. It's something that you have to mortify, and so it's going to take work to overcome fear of man, and depending on how captured you are by it, then I would encourage you to slow the webinar down and that you capture some of the questions that I've been asking you throughout. Here's one here. Why are you more concerned about what others think of you than what God thinks of you? This is something that you want to respond to reflectively and in prayer. Putting what others think of you ahead of what God thinks of you is the sin of idolatry. And in Exodus 20, verse 3, it says this, the Ten Commandments, you remember, you shall have no other gods before me. And so now fear of man has just went up on a transcendent level. It's not just the tertiary problem of the dad that's hovering over me. It's just not the primary problem of the idle list of seven things that I listed. Uh, but this is a transcending problem. It's an idolatry of where I have placed other gods before me. I am breaking the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. But when other people manage us more than God manages us, then we are breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Now, here's an ironic quote 
to this whole fear of man problem. All Christians possess in Christ what they seek from others. Let's go back to that list when I said what is the problem, the core problem is significance, acceptance, approval, respect, honor, love, or fear of rejection. Let's say that we bring our friend down to size, the towering man over the little boy, the towering father in this case over the little boy, and let's say that God is God, he is transcendent, all-powerful, and he's managing our life. Very similar to the graphic that I showed earlier about Jesus being so connected to his heavenly Father and so managed by his heavenly Father. Jesus had a very big God, not a small God. And so let's redraw the picture as you see here. Now, the man is not big and tiring towering over me any longer. God is as big as he should be, sovereign, transcendent God. The problem goes away, but these things that I crave don't. You see, I am significant in God. I am eternally accepted in God. God approves of me. He approves of me not because of anything that I have done. He approves of me because of what Christ has done. I have an alien righteousness, and he accepts me because he accepts his son. He respects me, honors, loves me. He will never reject me. And so here's the thing that I want you to get. As you work through fear of man issues, you don't want to abolish these seven things. You want them. These things are huge. Uh, they, they center you. They, they, they give you a foundation to stand on. But rather than craving these things through human agency, God will give you those things through his Son. And so the question is, why am I looking to others to give me the very things that God promises me in the gospel? If you don't have those things, if you're not experiencing gospel transformation, if you don't feel significant because of what God has done for you, if you don't feel love because of what God has done for you and, and through the rest of the list, then you do have to ask the question, what is it about the Lord that does not satisfy you yet? You see, if you're choosing human agency to bring these things to you, as opposed to enjoying these benefits of the gospel through Christ himself, then we're making choices. There's a reason that we're choosing this person to give me these things that I crave, rather than enjoying these benefits from God. And if we're making those choices of, I, I want it from you, but I'm not, I don't want it from God, then there's something about God that hasn't, hasn't clicked yet. There's something that's not satisfying about God because I'm choosing these other sources to give me these things I desire. Now, maybe that you just become so habituated in this that it is a habit, it's a true habit, and you've been captured by it. Your thoughts have been captured in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3, 4, 5, and 6, that a stronghold has developed because you've been shaped this way. That is possible. But you do have to answer and wrestle through these questions. That is a part of breaking the stronghold or the habituation. Why are you more interested in others' approval than what you possess in Christ? A third way to answer the question, what is it about the Lord you do not understand or appreciate? Now, these are questions that you just can't go through at the speed in which I'm presenting them to you. As I said earlier, you need to wrestle with the questions that I'm presenting and do a deep dive long-term study in this issue of fear of man. When Paul, when Paul thought about the fear of man, uh, he gives us his answer, and one of the passages of Scripture that I would appeal to you to memorize, honestly, uh, but I would appeal to you to think about and, and really spend time meditating on, and that is Romans chapter 8, starting in verse number 31. Paul gives us the answer when he says in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? What he's talking about is the salvation that we have in Christ. Before that, he was talking about God uh, predestining us and glorifying us, and you see this 
this golden chain uh, in verses 29 and 30. And then Paul says, what the, the, that linkage there, and then Paul says, what then shall we say to these things, these wonderful things that God has done for us? He says, well, this is what we should say. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, when a person is struggling with fear, remember the context of Romans. He was talking to people who were being put to death, and he's telling them that we do not have to be afraid. The reason we do not have to be afraid, because God is for us. And then Paul doubles down in verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God that justifies, not your towering father, not some other person that you want to approve you. It is God who justifies you through the death of his son. In verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Paul brings the full facets of the gospel to bear on people who struggle with intimidation, managed by others, the fear of man, and what other people can do for us, being controlled by people's opinions. He brings the full gospel to bear. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus was raised. The resurrection. Jesus' intercession. Paul is saying that the answer to the fear of man is the gospel, and this is where Romans 8, 31 through 39 becomes an essential passage to wrestle through so that who God is and what God offers us is greater than what we crave from human agency. He says in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword. Paul's answer to the fear of man is the gospel. Until we are intentionally, regularly, and practically amazed and transformed by the gospel, we'll always be subject to the control of other people's opinions. As I said earlier, this is a lifetime problem for many of us, overcoming the fear of man. It is a mortification issue, not an amputation issue, and so you want to spend significant time wrestling through this, and you want to surround yourself with appropriate companions so that you can overcome this problem. Though you may residually carry vestiges of this to the grave, you can have significant victory over it where it's not debilitating. As I wrap up this webinar, let me give you a list of a few companions that are absolutely essential to help you overcome fear of man. One of those, obviously, is prayer. I am not saying that because I'm supposed to say it because I'm a Christian, but I'm talking about active prayer where you are engaging God specifically with things uh, that you are struggling with tied to fear of man and actively engaging God and asking him to help you to overcome. Reflection is a huge companion. The way change happens, humanly speaking, is when things lodge and stay in our long-term memory, not our short-term memory. Uh, we, many of us, have habituated ourselves to live in a short-term memory world because we live on the internet, we live on Twitter, we live on Facebook, we live on social media, and things flush in and flush out. They come in and they flush out just uh, ever so quickly, and they never make it past short-term memory. You cannot change if you do not spend time in reflection. Chewing the cud, thinking over deep thoughts for days and weeks and months until those thoughts are inculcated in your psyche, your soul. Of course, the Bible is essential. Uh, like prayer, uh, these are understood, but being an exegete of God's Word, not just reading 4.25 chapters every day, uh, but doing sound, like take Romans 8.31 and just tear it apart. Memorize it. That's another companion. Number four here is memory work. Hiding God's Word in your heart. Why? So that you will not sin specifically in the fear of man. Gratitude. Well, gratitude has a refreshing effect. And if we're truly understanding God's good work in our lives, well, then we are grateful. And the Christian that's not grateful is an oxymoron. And so 
we want to express gratitude, not just being grateful in the morning and grateful in the evening, but an attitude of gratefulness, almost like praying without ceasing. We want to have gratitude without ceasing. Singing, whether it's singing in the shower, as I might do, or singing for those of you who can sing in other places where it's appreciated, uh, but singing is it's another form of gratitude, and this is an excellent companion that you want in your life. Of course, having friends in your life who understand this, in fact, if two or more friends were to walk through this webinar and really spend a few months working through it, you would find those companions to be uh, Transformative. God could use those companions in a transformative way. And then serving others because we don't want to be a dead sea. God works through us, and so we want to make sure that we are exporting what we are importing and that we're sharing. And that in itself has a flushing effect as we pour ourselves into other people's lives. And so I want you to implement uh, these two, four, six, eight, these eight uh, companions in your life in the way that you need to uh, to help you to overcome fear of man as you also grab the questions that I have presented throughout and study these animations uh, that you have seen on the screen. Prayer, reflection, Bible work, memory work, gratitude, singing, friends, serving, and by the way, uh, you can add to this list as well. If you have any questions about this webinar, please, as always, come to our forums. We want to interact with you. We are a dialogue ministry, not just a monologue. You have been listening to me monologue. Now come to our ministry and we will dialogue with you. If it's about fear of man or something else that's on your mind, please let us know how we can serve you. The title of the webinar is How to Overcome the Fear of Others. The subtitle, The Opinion of One. When the only opinion in the room that controls you that manages you, that matters, is God's opinion of you, then you're in a good place. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for watching The Web. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.